0: Welcome to Subjective Comedy, a Creative Zombie Studios production and a rarity I'm actually recording in Creative Zombie Studios. That's right. I just got done with the summer of Sloss. If you've been following along on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and all that, you know that I spent most of my summer uh, driving Uber and then going and hanging out with my good friend, my daughter's godfather, the king, Daniel Sloss. And actually, new information, Producer BS. By the way, Producer BS is here as well because I don't know how to operate this stuff. Daniel, this past June, recorded his third Netflix special. Which is insanity because the first two came out last September. The rest of the shows, those were the, the Austin shows were the only ones he did that show. Uh, which I believe is called Now. And that was for Netflix. The rest of the time he's doing his newest show, which he debuted this year, uh, X. X was just bought by HBO, and it is going to premiere this fall. He is going into rarefied air, uh, Chappelle, Gervais, Rock, Seinfeld, as guys who have had both a Netflix and an HBO special. I think it was about three or four months ago, I said to, I believe it might have been Eric Samari, I could make a valid case for he's already one of the greatest in history. And this puts my, this gives me a really solid case. So congratulations to my good friend. This was a very fun summer. Uh, Austin was the highlight. Obviously it was the actual Netflix taping. Afterward, we went to a little speakeasy next door. I got to hang out with one of the higher ups at live nation. A guy named Jeff was very cool. I got to meet Daniel's mom. I got to meet uh, his manager. I got to meet uh, Kai. Kai. And if you've seen the videos of uh, Kai, he, he's one of my favorite human beings. We came up with the greatest joke in history, so everybody else can stop doing comedy. It is anytime anything happens, you wait about two seconds, and then you just go, "Born in the USA." Kai was uh, wonderful. He he was he's a knitter. He's got a problem with knitting. Uh, it was a little bit of an issue. Him and Daniel had a competition, but Kai is a little bit addicting to the knitting. Uh, it was honestly fun tour. fun to see comedy done from that side of the spectrum to, you know, professionally and well done and, uh, everything else watching the Netflix recording and seeing all the stuff that goes into the filming of that and camera placement and all that was very cool. And of course my favorite part, if you know me and my ego was, uh, did I sit in the, uh, audience, uh, every damn night? Yeah. Why? So I could do that thing where I walk up to will call tell them my name and they go oh yeah you're the guy that's really important and then i walk by all the commoners who are still getting searched as i walk in with all my drugs um but we had a blast harper got to go to cleveland detroit and then she saw him in indianapolis this year uh which now means she's seen him three times and me only once but i get it i would choose that show as well So, yeah, that was my summer of sloths. It was a lot of fun. One of the best summers I've had in a long time. I didn't even care that much about comedy this summer, like performing. It It did not. It wasn't one of those things where if I went a couple of weeks away from it, it was like that right now bothers me really badly. If I go two weeks and I haven't been on stage, I'm very rusty when I get back on stage the first time. At least I am in my head. And I also I get very antsy and irritable about because I need to get on stage. I need to get that approval of strangers. And it didn't happen this summer. I did so much fucking Ubering and you would have thought that would have ruined the summer. No, not at all. It was, I think maybe because also I was around so much comedy uh, offstage. I mean, we had a lot of fun. We went to a barcade almost every night. Uh, played. Have you ever played the competitive Pac-Man producer BS? Where you sit down at the t- and you try to it's the best game ever. That and the joust. Have you seen that? Seven people on each side. Five of them have to collect berries and put them in these holes. That game is amazing as well. Uh, you gotta ride the snail, I think. There's the secret to that one. Uh, but it was a very, very good summer. Uh- Man, Whew. This was a very strange circumstance. I was just, again, driving for Uber one night and I get a call to go pick up, uh, it's a man's name, and then I get a message like, you know, right away, it says you're picking up my wife. And it has her name. So I, the pickup location was like a closed gas station. I don't mean like closed down, I mean closed for the night. And I pick up this girl and she's probably in her, I think, was, I think she was like early 30s, like 20s, maybe a little older, maybe mid 30s. And it's also been a while since I interviewed her, so memory is not the greatest. Uh, but when I picked her up, she said, like one of the first things she said to me was, you're picking me up from being homeless the past 19 days and taking me back to my husband. That was strange. And as you'll uh, uh, discover, uh, her husband is not the greatest guy in the world. So that was one of the reasons why she left. And she had been homeless before that for a lengthier period of time. Um, The reason she basically became homeless in the first place was she started in the army. She was serving overseas in Afghanistan or Iraq. I don't know, whatever one of the countries we were feuding with for bullshit reasons that had more to do with money than actual uh Freedom, and because uh, let's be real. Aside from like just the fact that September 11th happened and it was a you know like whatever, like how much did your life change? My day was the same. If we're gonna be real, like it's been long enough now. Like not much of my life changed after September 11th. You know, like I think it changed for Manhattan and around there. But if you live the in fucking Indiana, not shit. Shit didn't really get altered. Except for people be like, oh, did you hear there's a threat on the Chase building? And I'm like, no, there's not. <laughs> to it yeah, it's like, we like, that's what we terrorists don't go after us. We don't have shit to offer. They know that. They took out the most important building in New York and America shut down for half a day. Like, they could wipe out Indianapolis off the map. The Walmart in Cincinnati would still be open. So, um, yeah, one of those countries we were fighting. She's over there. She's she gets blown up like she's in a, a truck that like gets hit uh, with explosives or whatever, or hits ex- hits a mine or something. She she's in an explosion in the truck. Uh, fucks up her shoulder, and it, you you can see like it's it's like part of her. It's like half of her shoulder blade is just gone, and the skin's been like sewn over it. Uh, from there, when she left the army, she went to uh, New Orleans. Uh, post-Katrina and was one of the she was a medic in the army by the way and when she went to Katrina she was basically rounding up bodies like fish netting, pulling over children who were dead and people and uh, from there she got addicted to painkillers because of all the, had, she had 37 plus surgeries on her shoulder and then uh, I think it was the VA took away her painkillers cuz you know in this country with opioids instead of addressing the issue uh, which is there's there's a minority of doctors who are you know really abusing these and really really putting some people at risk instead of going we need to really go after them to set an example for you know the other shady doctors instead of doing that we were like nope fuck it no one gets them like America is that shitty mom who's just like, nope, I'm done. Nobody watches the movie and shut it all down. So now you can literally, I was told in an immediate care, uh, after being in a car accident, uh, pretty bad one, that the, basically the entry level to get a 500 milligram Vicodin is a bone protruding through the skin. That's where it starts. That's ACEs, by the way. He's got a bone protruding through the skin. Just fucking kill me right then and there. If I look at it, I'm dead anyways. So uh, she loses her pain prescription. And using medical knowledge and explaining it, just starts doing a little bit of heroin to, you know, act in its place. And because that's what we're pushing a lot of people to do uh, in that position, she got addicted to heroin and ended up homeless. And it's one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. And uh, throughout... Uh, a couple times, I believe. Uh, we'll leave this in there. There's a PayPal I mentioned that you can send money to if you would like to help her out. Um, she, as as far as I know, to this day, she's still bouncing between a house with a spouse that she does not care for. It doesn't seem like it cares much for her. I mean, obviously, like if Michelle's homeless, what what day of nineteen are you out there getting her back? One. Maybe two. Maybe two. two. Depends on why she's out there homeless. Maybe two. Maybe she needs to make a little bit of money before she comes home first. But still, within three days, max. But if you want to help her out, there's ways to do that. So, yeah, this is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. I think you're going to enjoy it. So enjoy this interview with a girl's name that I don't remember. I met Aaron... Uh, picking up an Uber and she told me, uh, a little bit of her story and I want to hear more and I think other people need to hear it as well. So let's start at the beginning. What was your childhood like? Um, well, it was rough growing up. Um,
1: I was adopted at the age of six and at the age of seven, they decided they didn't want me anymore and gave me back to the state. From seven to the age of 12, I was in and out of foster homes, group homes, and long-term placements for children. Um, At 12, my biological mother finally came, found me, got custody back of me. But at that point, I didn't care because, one, I was institutionalized. I had always had that structure from as long as I could remember. And everything that I had been told was, she didn't want me anymore. And so when she finally came and got me, I did everything in my power to start going to juvenile and get arrested, going to girls' school. What what, was what the reason she gave you up in the first place? Um, she, well, she had gone into the hospital um, for having some psychological issues. She's always had um, problems on and off. And... Um, So she had gone into the hospital, and while she was getting herself better, my adopted dad uh, decided that I was too much to handle and that he didn't want me anymore. And so he surprised her with a divorce while she was in the hospital and said he was taking custody of me, and when he was granted custody of me, he signed me over to the state. And she had no idea of any of this.
0: And then she shows back up, she she takes you home, and you start... Intentionally getting in trouble and is because you obviously because you crave the the structure and the order that you weren't getting at home.
1: Right. Well, it wasn't the structure and the order that I wasn't getting at home. It was I had been so used to living in a treatment facility, a placement with locked doors and not having freedom and being able to make my own decisions that I started to freak out because that's all i had known since I you know for since I was seven and. So I literally started purposefully getting in trouble. Like one day I actually flipped over our dining room table, which was solid oak and almost 200 pounds, with four fingers, kicked off a table leg and I kept telling her she was going to call the police on me and she kept telling me no, she wasn't. And it wasn't until I started swinging the table leg that she called the police. And it was solely because I did not know how to live in society.
0: And do you is that what you think drew you to the military?
1: I always knew from a young age that I wanted to go in the Army.
0: What always. age did you go?
1: Uh, at 17. Um, at thought, age 17... you have to be 18? No. 17, six months, and one day, your family can sign you in. At 17, six months, and one day, my mom signed me into the military.
0: Is that because she was, you know, probably just in her mind, get you away? No. Because no. Because of the behavior?
1: No. She didn't. She... Had a lot of, uh, she was really reserved about me going into the military. Um, 9 11 had just happened and we knew eventually, yeah, we will, we knew eventually we were going to go overseas. And so she was, being that she grew up as a military brat and me always expressing that I wanted to go in the military, she knew that if she didn't sign me in, I would eventually go. But at 17, I was already a single mom of a one-year-old. And I had my own apartment. I had two full-time jobs. I was still going to school. And in order to make my life better for my child, so I could go on and I could get my college degrees and everything else, I had to do something. And so military it was. I always knew I was going to go.
0: And so tell me about basic training (laughs) that's where it starts right
1: yes basic uh i actually completed basic
0: training three times three times three times now that sounds impressive but it also sounds like you flunked twice
1: (laughs) so the first time i went in um i made it to week eight out of nine and my mom had actually gotten into an accident and was severely injured and there was nobody else to take care of my son well you can't be a single parent in the military and so um, I ended up getting an other than honorable discharge. It was just a general discharge, uh, uh, and I was sent home to take care of my son. When I left, I looked at my drill sergeant and I said, "I will be back, and I will finish this, and I will be in the military." And he said, "Unfortunately, I have never seen a single person come back." Well,
0: and you year, came back twice. A year so- later.
1: A year later, I walked into reception at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And lo and behold, my drill sergeant from the first time I was in was at reception actually winding down. They put him at reception and stuff so they can, you know, calm down before they go back into the actual military because they're so high strung while they're drill sergeants. And so it's kind of transition stage. And I stepped off that bus and I looked at him and he goes, oh, my God. And I looked at him, I said, told you.
0: <laughs> yep. And then what happened the second time? Why didn't you make it through that so time? So
1: I made it actually to two days before graduation. And I got recycled back to day one because I got into a heated discussion with uh, my senior drill sergeant. And um, well, he didn't on, like on. what it said. hold on, hold on, hold on.
0: I feel like there's a little more to this story because I don't think that... You get two days away from graduation and a heated discussion. They go, nope, start over. What was the discussion about?
1: Um, Politics and how he was wrong. And... He didn't like me telling him that he was wrong.
0: Did you happen to maybe physically assault him?
1: I did take his hat from him.
0: Oh, see, that's that's why Mm -hmm. they may make you start over again. And so, how did you get through the third time? Um pretty it's much a...
1: slept for nine weeks because I had already gotten a go on everything. I was already there at oh, graduation. You're the,
0: you're the kid that's you're the kid that got held back and already knows the answers to the test pretty and much. knows what the questions are beforehand.
1: Pretty much, because my drill sergeant when I got to my third company, my drill sergeant immediately made me platoon leader and uh, because I already knew everything and every single time we'd go to like the obstacle course or we'd go to you know the gas chamber or something he would look at me do you want to do this or do you want to sit out i always said yes i do it except for the gas chamber i passed on that one
0: what is what is the gas chamber what is that
1: The gas. i mean i know what a
0: gas chamber is but what, what is it in context
1: so we you walk into this um concrete small building no bigger really than a gazebo, you can get like 20 people in there and you stand up against this wall with your back to it and you walk in originally with your gas mask on and the drill sergeants are standing, you have a couple drill sergeants standing there and they take these little CS tablets and they are so concentrated, they're more concentrated than what police spray at your face. They're even more concentrated. They light them on fire. They put them in some water, light them up or whatever. And the whole room, the whole chamber fills with smoke. Uh, You start feeling it like in your neck. It's like my car. Pores. Yeah. Like you can feel it everywhere. And then they tell you to take off your mask. Well, first they have you just pull your mask out. Let your mask fill with uh, CS gas. You got to put it back on. Clear it. Because you got to prove that you can clear your mask. And then you take off your actual mask.
0: How long do you have to stay in there with the mask (laughs) on?
1: Well, it depends. If your drill sergeant's being nice, just long enough until the snot starts rolling down your face and you can't stop crying. That's Uh, being nice. My platoon wasn't exactly um, the uh, nicest. Of platoons because we were all smart asses. You guys
0: were the bad news bear, yes. the major pain. We
1: were the fuck up of the company.
0: The group, the the rag, the group of ragtag individuals yes, thrown together. Pretty much. Tex, you know Southpaw and the gang. Pretty much. So what kind of trouble did you guys cause?
1: Uh, oh gosh, there's we literally got punished at one point. Um, we were having a conversation with trees that were around the company. Our drill sergeant. Wait, you mean like
0: trees, like, like actual trees, like,
1: growing oh, trees. We were having just, conversations with we them. We were to stand there and have full conversations with them because
0: we Because of the gas oh, chamber.
1: No, because we didn't know how to shut up in formation.
0: And oh, so he since, was making you do it. Yeah. I thought that was what you were doing to cause trouble. No, like ah oh, we're gonna I talk to these
1: trees. Punishment our punishment wise was a, heck what of did a you, lot
0: better. What did you guys do to deserve like what was the what was the 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 Worst thing you did to get punished?
1: I can't say it was the worst thing, but it was sure as hell was the funniest. Um, So we were all standing around, and we kind of got together, and we decided to change the words to one of our drill sergeant's favorite cadence that he uh, would call while we were marching. Mm -hmm. And we completely changed all of the words around. And so he's calling Cadence, and then all of a sudden we start putting in our own words, all in unison, and he gets, like, he, he, so he gets was... he was choreographed,
0: it's pretty... Good. Yes,
1: now, this, our drill sergeant was from um, Nicaragua, and, I mean, he was dark, I mean, he was dark, dark. I have never seen a dark man get so red, so pissed. <laughs> I mean, it was the funniest thing in the world. Funny. And then at the very end, he's kind of like, Well, at least you guys are finally in sync and together. But because of that one, we literally were sent out to uh the pit, which is this big sandbox, and he all he gave us a broom and told us that we could come in once um we got done sweeping the pit. And so for five hours we swept the pit. We never even got to the bottom. But we did get in trouble for making sand castles and sand angels. <laughs>
0: Uh, by the way, if if you want to donate and help out Erin, uh, her PayPal email is misselmatlin at gmail.com. That's M-S-E-L-M-A-I-T-L-E-N at gmail.com. Or check out the description or check out any of our social media. We will post links. So you get through basic training. Mm-hmm. And how long was it from basic training? you, you so you had to go three times. So you're what about 1920 when you're done? <laughs> uh, by the
1: time I was done, I was 19.
0: And when did you get deployed?
1: Oh, well, I still had to go to AIT. What is AIT? AIT is uh, I, I, your special. It, is your specialized? Why would I hear school. AIT?
0: Do I think Lincoln Tech for some? Reason? I don't know why, but I just I think of those commercials like <laughs> no. AIT Lincoln. It's Te-
1: advanced individual training. It's your job that you have in the military.
0: Okay, so what was your job?
1: Uh, well, they just reclassed everything, and now it's called a uh, 68 Whiskey. I was a combat medic. I was one of the last classes to go through as a combat medic. Now...
0: Wait, so you're you're an Army nurse?
1: I was an Army paramedic.
0: I am so in love with you right now because <laughs> everyone knows I think nurses are the best people on the planet. Paramedics are an extension of that. Uh, they're the hottest people on the planet. They have the best senses of humor, and they're amazing. So what... what have, what was that training like? How many times did you go through it? Uh,
1: actually, I only went through that one once. Okay. Um, and and it, where do you go
0: after you get done with that training? Do they just...
1: Well, it depends. Now, um, when you go through, you go through as just a medic. But if you graduate um, the top five in your class, you can, they give you the option to go on to pretty much paramedic school okay i graduated second in my class i sure as hell went on to become a paramedic because i wasn't satisfied with just being a basic emt
0: how long did that take
1: all in all um uh, 18 months
0: and where did you go after that uh
1: after that i actually came home i was in the national guard for a while
0: and what did you do in the national guard
1: at national guard i was a medic um and we actually Well, national
0: guard, where were you stationed for that
1: uh i was stationed in downtown indianapolis at stout field so
0: you probably had like a pretty easy with, gig
1: i was with echo med 38th msb echo med is no longer there they disbanded us when they disbanded us that's when i decided to go after duty i didn't
0: want to what was so wait when you say echo med echo med okay. that was my company okay and then uh what was the, like the day-to-day life
1: uh i was a weekend warrior i went in on friday what, evenings what were you doing
0: uh, monday through friday at this point i was working uh, working as?
1: I was working as, a, uh, actually, a phlebotomist for Clarion North.
0: And I obviously know what that is, but for some of our listeners, fill them in. What is a, what is a philobotomist? Is that what a you phlebotomist. Get a is where you grab Every, no. ass all day no. and fill no. the bottomist? No. Uh,
1: no, actually, uh, we're called vampires because uh, we drew blood. We drew everyone's blood. So,
0: Paul Rudd worked with you and uh, Pretty Stacey much. Dash. Yep. Yep. Uh, so you drew okay. And how long were you in the National Guard?
1: Uh, well, uh, we were mobilized and sent down to Hurricane Katrina, and so we were down in Hurricane Katrina. I'll never forget for a few months, and that was probably the first catastrophic thing I had ever seen in my life. I was actually in charge of recovering bodies.
0: When when. Did you get there right after all the...
1: Oh, we got there uh, oh, yeah, within yeah, a week, on? a okay. week of the storm passing through.
0: And you're ice. So what was that? T- take me back. What was that like? You're, you get off? I mean, we did they convoyed, fly you in? How, no, we how get- convoyed
1: down there. I got a phone call at work, and I was literally filling up um, my car. And I got a phone call, and Sergeant Carn was like, we've been mobilized. You have... Four hours to get your affairs in order and get in here with all of your gear. Well, I immediately called my husband at the time because he was also in the same company as I was.
0: How long have you guys been married? Uh,
1: him and I had been married for about a year at this point.
0: And did you meet him in the Army?
1: Uh, no, actually I met him before either one of us even joined the Army. Uh, we were both working as lifeguards at the IU Natatorium.
0: Okay, and so what's the first thing you do when you convoy in?
1: We convoy in, uh, we go down to Gulfport, Mississippi. That's where we're at. Okay. And the first thing we do is we we're staying in a church. And so we get down there and the church is just overflowing with refugees and there's like 20 freaking companies down there. And so we set up tents in the parking lot and uh, in the field back
0: behind. And then when did they tell you, we hey, even you're there. doing a great job of setting up tents But now we need you to go. We weren't
1: even there six hours. And within six hours, command came in and said, Look, you're one of the only medical companies here. This is what I need. And he split us up. Half of them went to open an actual, like, um, um, sick hall area so people could come in and get medical treatment. And the other half of us was tasked with the grueling, thing of going in clearing houses and pulling out what was bodies.
0: the worst that you saw
1: the, in, down when you are going to clear out housing uh, I had gone into a house the water was still about waist deep and we had gone in and it was uh, there were six deceased people um, three were children on the age of five I remember grabbing and I think she was about three I remember grabbing her arm to kind of pull her out because she was kind of wedged underneath the bed. And at that point, they'd been in that heat, in that water for a couple of weeks. And when I grabbed her arm, it completely degloved her arm. All of the skin and everything just completely pulled away from her, pulled off of her arm in my hand.
0: And how did you react?
1: I threw up on her. I feel horrible about that, but I threw up on her. I'm guessing
0: she didn't notice.
1: I'm guessing not either.
0: And so you...
1: She's probably just glad to be out of that water, but...
0: Oh my goodness. What did you do after that, though? I
1: mean... I I cried. I walked out of there. I walked back to uh, my truck. I climbed in. Um, My partner goes to climb in next to me. I told him to get the heck away from me. I needed some space, and I cried for about... I don't know. An hour? I had kids that age. You know, I, at home, I had a four-year-old and a two-year-old at home. So, um, you know, to find a three-year-old like that, that was just, that was hard. You know, because I immediately thought of my kids. How, did you,
0: did you go back to going
1: into houses after that? Yeah.
0: How, yeah. how did you find the strength to do that?
1: You just kind of...
0: You know, it's, yeah,
1: you know it's your job, and if you're not doing it, then who's going to do it? Who's going to bring those people to rest? How
0: long did you have to do that?
1: Uh, we were down there for about three months.
0: And you're doing that the whole time?
1: Uh, up until the last couple of weeks, yeah.
0: And what did you do the last couple of weeks?
1: The last couple of weeks, we started rebuilding. We oh. started helping people actually rebuild. We went in, and um, we were helping people um,
0: you know, fix the NBA lottery so Anthony just
1: Pick up what pieces they had left of their lives, salvaged what they could, and uh, the very last week we were there, we started uh, laying concrete and framework for um, a couple houses.
0: And then, where did you go from from there? From there,
1: we came back up here to Indiana, and I remember as soon as we got back here, we were all in BDU still we had it switched over to those acus that don't camouflage with anything Uh, you can't even acus don't even blend with themselves and that's not a joke because if you have a pair of pants that you've washed twice and a shirt that you've only washed once the pants are more faded than the top and so you don't even blend with yourself they were the worst uniform the military would ever come up with but i remember coming back And our uniforms were so nasty and they stunk so bad. We literally all threw them in a pile down there at Stout Field, doused gasoline on them and lit them on fire because we all got ACUs the very next day. Uh. But I came back up here to Indiana from that and within a month they disbanded Echomed. They got rid of us.
0: And that's what you wanted to go active duty? And at
1: that point, I was they were trying to put me into a supply company and send me to reclass into a new MOS, into a new job in the military, uh, as supply. And I'm like, I don't think so. They're like, well, we don't have any you know, use for you as a medic. We have too many medics and not enough slots. Well, y'all should have thought about that before you made me a medic. So I went active duty after that.
0: What did your husband think of that?
1: Uh... My first husband and I were going through a divorce at the time. That was also another deciding factor.
0: What was the cause of the divorce?
1: Mm -hmm. I married into money and I didn't fit.
0: You were Adam Sandler in every movie?
1: Pretty much, yes.
0: And so you decide you're going active duty, going through a divorce at the same time. Is that a tough thing to. Did you find that you. Could take solace in the active, like, the active duty kept your mind active as well and kept it off of the divorce.
1: it it kept me, it kept me going. How long
0: did it take before you got deployed? Once you went active duty?
1: Uh, well, let's see. You had Hurricane Katrina in September 2005, and, uh, we were down there for three months.
0: So you're, that's, to November.
1: Right, we got back uh, a couple days before Thanksgiving. Um, by Christmas we were disbanded. And in January, I went active duty. June 6, thousand six, is the day my life changed.
0: And so you you're active duty, but you're, where are you active duty at? At this point?
1: Fort Campbell, Kentucky.
0: Okay, and so
1: Hunter First Airborne.
0: Uh, so November when I'm trying I'm trying to get the timeline right. I, I went.
1: Active duty January. I was deployed by March.
0: Where did you get deployed to?
1: Al assad Iraq. Okay. It's in northern Iraq.
0: And this is while Saddam is still in power, correct? Yes. And so, what was what was that shift like? What, first of all, what did they make you do to get prepared to go to Iraq? Like what kind? Because of, I know when you go to other countries, a lot of times, especially uh, in the desert, you have to have certain shots. Yeah, and we else. went to
1: a regiment of shots, we had to do um, our anthrax um, vaccines, we had to get our smallpox vaccines, Uh, pretty much any vaccine that a civilian needs to travel outside the United States, we had to have, and then some. Um, Like, your arms just swelled about three sizes bigger than what they usually are, because you just had so many shots. You get shots in your butt. I mean, it, 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 the shots are hell. But you also have to go through all physical and mental evaluations to make sure you are fit to go.
0: What was the mental evaluation like?
1: Um, the mental evaluation at the time wasn't too bad. It was just simple questions, you know. Have you ever thought about hurting yourself? Have you ever thought about hurting someone else? Just the same simple stuff
0: that, that in seems like, the a hospital, pretty... like that seems like a pretty shitty evaluation, because really? even if you are, you're gonna know the answer. No. no, yeah.
1: Especially being a medic, you 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 know what questions are coming. Had you yes. had any thoughts of at that suicide? time? No. Okay. At that time, no, I hadn't.
0: You're in a good place.
1: Yes. At that time, I was in a great place. I was ready to deploy. I wanted
0: to. So you're in Iraq in March, and you said June six, two thousand and six, is a day that you'll never forget that changed your life. What happened June six?
1: my best friend was killed
0: and that's your partner that was my partner you, Katrina, my uh, mentor the one that you told to get the hell out of the truck yes and what was uh, his name
1: uh, uh, staff sergeant Richard Allen Blakely
0: and what happened um, he
1: was actually he, he was actually killed by small arms fire a uh, round had and the bad part is is he had just come back to active duty because he had been shot like six weeks earlier he didn't go home. He stayed in country because it was just a flesh wound. But he had just come back on duty. And, um, yeah, he was shot and killed by small arms, fire, um, wrong place, by wrong time. By an Iraqi? By an Iraqi,
0: yes. Um, where was he at? Uh,
1: on a convoy just outside the wire. Um, I and cannot what, pronounce the actual city.
0: Was it part of the Iraqi army or was it a no civilian? No, it was.
1: It was, it was, uh, part of, the. Uh, can't really say they're civilians. They're, like it militia? Wasn't, yeah, pretty much
0: militia. And so, um, you, ha, you said you, you got shot by small arms? That, mm-hmm. Where did he get shot at? In the neck. In the neck. And, and a
1: downward you, angle, and it kind of ricocheted through. And you
0: said you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, is that when maybe things started to get darker? Yes. And what did that look like? Well, I came home
1: because I was also injured and I stood guard What happened to you? Uh, We hit a roadside bomb. We hit an IED.
0: At the the same day? Yes. Was that leaving with him to take him?
1: Uh, We were on two different convoys.
0: Okay. And so, uh,
1: but I was the closest medic and he was the only medic with that convoy and so when they called for a backup medic we immediately had to drop what we were doing and head over there and so of course i'm the medic who gets there
0: and you said you hit a roadside bomb with those regular current like i mean the, the roadside bomb themselves not necessarily hitting them or exploding them, but those were were those normal at that point yes actually
1: our road that we were on had been cleared 30 minutes earlier by EOD.
0: Oh wow! So they got it. They—that's
1: how quickly they get them in the ground over there. Um, thirty minutes earlier, EOD had gone through with their big trucks with the chains and everything, tearing up the road, making sure you know they had found a few devices, they had them deactivated and stuff, and the road was deemed clear. And within thirty
0: minutes, where were you? Were you driving?
1: No, I was not. I was actually in the back. And
0: um, what I, do you remember about the explosion?
1: I had just, just stood up. Someone had thrown a roller band at me and me and my OCD, I can't have my ambulance, anything out of place. Everything's gotta be perfect. So of course I stand up to grab it. And just as I stand up to grab it, I made the comment, you know, it's really shitty that we are outside the wire on June 6, 2006, so, On 666 as a medical company with no security or backup, no support, nothing. I was like, man, they're just asking for trouble. And as I said, trouble less than 30 seconds later, we hit the IED. And I was thrown into the ceiling. The Humvee flipped a few times. If I had been sitting in the airway seat, still in my seat where I was, I would have been the first KIA of that roadside bomb because my seat was completely gone. It was obliterated. There was nothing left of it.
0: What do you remember uh, after you landed? Like
1: I remember it was almost like slow motion. Like I can, I can still recall all of the stuff in the back of the ambulance flying around me. I remember grabbing the ceiling um, because we have bars that go across the ceiling so we can stand up and move around and i remember grabbing the bar on the ceiling and kind of almost at one point doing a handstand and i remember thinking are we flipping and then boom we come crashing down and we land on the hood and so everything that was down is now up and you know we're all backwards i remember crawling out and we came under fire it was an ambush and uh, we came under fire i remember hearing constant medic medic of course i'm the only medic and i remember while pulling one of my guys back behind cover someone yells doc you're bleeding and i yelled back it's not mine about Five minutes later, I'm going to apply a tourniquet to a soldier who had a um, complete amputation from the knee down. I went to apply a tourniquet and realized that my hand wasn't working. My arm wasn't moving. And because of the shock, the adrenaline, everything going on, it wasn't until that point that I looked down and realized there's more blood on me than there should be. This isn't somebody else's as I had thought. This is mine. And that's when I started to assess myself. And I realized that my right arm was literally being held on by strands of fat and tissue. There was nothing left. My arm was just hanging there.
0: What was that feeling?
1: There was a sinking feeling. I wasn't concerned about myself. I was concerned with if I only have one arm, how do I apply a tourniquet? How do I do CPR? How do I get my guys out of here to safety? And I was still at that point more concerned because of, you know, the military just pounds into your head. It's the next person, not yourself. I was- the Patriots. Right, I was- (laughs) We just don't have to play our balls. (sighs) Um, I was more concerned about my soldiers that i was responsible for and saving their lives and making sure that they're going to make it home to their families that i didn't know what to do i froze for a split second literally a split second and at that point i had made the determination that yes i would love to go home and see my kids again but at this exact moment those soldiers are my responsibility and I'm gonna do what I have to do in order to make sure that every one of them gets out of there. Even if that means I have to give up my life.
0: And... How did you get out of this this whole situation if your arm is just dangling?
1: Uh, well, I continued to still perform my job the best I could. I was using every other part of my body, you know. <laughs> I was I was literally holding pressure over a wound on somebody with my foot at one point, you know. I'm literally sitting here putting a tourniquet on one-handed, and using my mouth and holding pressure with my foot like at the most exact same time.
0: game of Twister.
1: Pretty much, yeah. And left so, foot here, right foot or right arm or right, right arm hand and, here, right, right arm, right arm
0: stu- stay. And, mm-hmm. Right arm gone. Mm-hmm. And so, how did you? When, when it's all over what 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 was required to uh,
1: 37 surgeries later 37 uh, they wanted to amputate it and I told them they could go screw themselves so they weren't taking my arm they said that I would have very limited if any uh, mobility in that arm whatsoever and I said an arm is still better than nothing because it would have been a shoulder amputation which means there's no I would have never had a prosthesis it would have just been
0: gone. Oh, my. And so how how long of a period were those 37 surgeries over?
1: Um, my first surgery was in um, <clears throat> the end of June of 2006. And my last surgery was three years ago.
0: Oh, my goodness. So from 13 years. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, because honestly... You're wearing a tank top right now, and honestly, in the car, I did not notice this at all, and even looking at you now, like, straight on, you don't notice. Until you get Until the side. Until you see the side, you see the scar, and you have, like,
1: a small... It, but I have no fat, no muscle, nothing. It's all metal and
0: bone. And you said it doesn't even work.
1: No, no, I have about 5% movement in my arm.
0: And so how much of an adjustment was that? Uh, to, how, did, you have, did you start with 5% and it's never grown, or did you start with like 1% I, and no, then you had to build?
1: I actually started with more. Oh, and
0: after the surgery after, the surgery?
1: after the first surgery, um, I had actually started with quite a bit. And um, the problem is, is I also had a traumatic brain injury during the IED blast. I actually have a small portion of my brain that is completely dead. Um, I will never. I have a
0: large portion of my brain uh, that is completely
1: dead. That's what comedians are.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but uh, because of that, I now have seizures as well. And at the beginning, I, had, I was having uh, up to 20 seizures a day. My longest seizure lasted 27 minutes. You don't breathe when you're having a seizure. And I was having full grandma seizures, so my entire body was spasming during these seizures. I had had my first surgery, and um, I had my first seizure all in the same day. Oh my God! And um, they think actually me going under anesthesia is what caused me to have that seizure, and that's when we realized about the traumatic brain injury. But my first seizure lasted uh, 17 minutes, and I literally broke everything that they had just put in my shoulder. I ripped out all of the anchors. I snapped screws in half, everything. And so quite a few of those surgeries after that were actually to either take out and repair what every seizure was destroying or um, to try to go on. Eventually, I ended up having to get, and funny thing is, is my surgeon told me it would take the Incredible Hulk to bend or break this stuff. And yeah, I've been to broke it twice now. But I now have a metal rod that goes from uh, pretty much my neck all the way down the top of my um, shoulder down to my elbow. And then I have another one that connects my shoulder to my clavicle in the front and then my shoulder to my shoulder blade in the back along with 37 screws that go through and through. I have bent and broken these things a couple of times. And so we ended up just fusing my shoulder in place in order to keep it. So my shoulder, they actually took out bone marrow from my hip and put it into the joints. And it would just be like if you broke your arm when they reset it, the bone marrow is what heals it, puts it back together and makes it stronger. So we ended up just fusing my shoulder in place. It's all one piece of bone now. What bone is left in there is all one piece of bone.
0: And uh, I'm assuming you're honorably discharged. Yes,
1: I actually, um, a medical discharge takes anywhere from six months to a year.
0: And what are you doing in that time period?
1: Uh, During that time period, you're sitting there doing absolutely nothing. But you can't do anything. You're literally on a medical hold. You show up in the morning, you can't do uh, PT. Um, If you're lucky, you have a job that they'll still allow you to do some of, but for the most part you're a doorstop and you're in the way
0: how did you fill your days huh with sudoku <laughs> the little japanese number game and, yeah i've never understood how to play that and
1: sudoku and um uh, call of duty
0: call of duty
1: yes <laughs> yes wait wait
0: so you just got done in the middle of a battlefield no you you blow your right arm off, you blow your shoulder out, and you're like
1: I need to play well, we a wall. We was again. out of the question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, oh
1: next best thing. PlayStation,
0: Call of Duty. And how long were you a doorstop?
1: Uh well see that was the thing. Is I got lucky. I ended up not taking a medical discharge. By the way, how
0: old are you at this point? Uh at what point? Where, right now. When you're you're right after the this, so this, you're while you're a doorstop.
1: While well, I'm a doorstop. Okay, so this happened in June 6, 2006. My actual discharge did not go through until March 31st, 2009. Now, for the last year of that, I was actually at home in Indiana.
0: But the two years before that, I was a doorstop. And I how was old tr- were
1: you? Well, um, I was trying to actually stay in the military. I was fighting to stay, and yeah, that wasn't working too well for me. But um. At that point,
0: oh goodness, uh, twenty one, twenty two. Oh my god! So you were twenty yeah. then when you were yes, and you so you're at twenty years old. You're you're in a combat zone. You get blown up, and your arm is dangling, holding on for dear life. Mm-hmm. And at twenty years old, you're still taking care of other people yeah making sure your unit is is safe yeah that was my
1: job that was who I always was I always knew that I was either going to go in the medical field or I was going to go in the military I just did the best about the world and went both
0: and so it takes it takes three years yes to discharge
1: well I actually fought to stay in they wanted to medically discharge me immediately and I was going through every hoop I possibly could to stay in. I wanted to go career.
0: Where were you? So you said you spent the last year in Indiana? Yes. The two years before that where were? I you? was still down at Fort Campbell. Okay. And you go to Indiana?
1: I come back to Indiana, and finally, it, I'm up for re enlistment. And at that point, it was look, we can't retain you. So you can either stay in another six months to a year. So we can medically discharge you or you can just ETS out and take your medical or take your honorable discharge. So I took my honorable discharge. I said, screw it. At this point, you know, I had exhausted every effort. Heck, I had written letter after letter to Congress trying to stay in. And this was before um, the first amputees were allowed to stay in and everything. You know, this was when we first really were starting to see um, injured soldiers come back who were fighting to stay in, they didn't want to get out just because they were injured. And uh, most of us got booted out. Whereas now, if you fight to stay in, you have a pretty decent chance of staying in. And so, but uh, March, thirty first, 2009, was my official last day in the military.
0: And... When did you know that was going to be the last day in the military?
1: When I got a knock on the door and... Um, There were three people from my unit at my door. How did that feel? My heart sunk. I had only known the military from the age of 17. I had wanted to do a full 20 plus years. I felt that I did not have a place in society. I did not have a place in this world. I felt like I just lost everything. I had gone from being a soldier and mattering to... Just being another woman.
0: That is the Greenfield Cathedral, right?
1: Uh, It's actually the Greenfield Courthouse.
0: Ah, Letting us know it's 420? No. Again, if you want to help out Erin, you can send a donation to her PayPal. The email is Miss L-E-L. Well, I, I spell it out. It's L though, that's how you say it, right? Missile. Missile there you it's go. It's missile, isn't it? Well, my name is Aaron Lee, so it's Miss E L. Okay. So okay. Miss E L Maitland, at gmail.com. That's M-S-E-L-M-A-I-T-L-E-N at gmail.com. You can get it in our description on our social media uh as well. Now we've talked about your childhood, we've talked about the experience in the military. Your shoulder is completely being constantly worked on and redone. You've been honorably discharged. You've fought to stay in the military but failed and you accepted it. What what happens next? A
1: lot of surgeries, thirty-seven to be exact, um, on my shoulder. Just on my shoulder, so a lot of in and out of the hospital, a lot of doctor visits. I tried to find my place at being a paramedic for um, I.F.D. for a few years, and after a really really rough night, I put in my two week notice. It was too much. to be? It was too much of a battlefield still.
0: What? And, what were you seeing?
1: Um, on a daily, where I was my firehouse. I was seeing gunshots and...
0: uh, I'm pretty charged up. Let's let's go to your favorite spot.
1: There could have always been that creepy couple that is sitting in Walmart parking lot for hours on
0: end. You know the one I'm talking about. I know that I do. I'm going to grab my charger. So we've talked about your childhood. We talked about your going into the military, your honorable discharge, and your fighting of that medical honorable discharge. And the failure of fighting and having to be discharged, what comes next? Um, Trying to fit
1: into society, that society has no idea what to do with us. Um, I suffered from really bad PTSD, and I was constantly at doctor's appointments and in and out of surgeries. And so, um, really trying to find a place to fit in to do anything. Uh, I worked for um, IFD, the Indianapolis Fire Department, for a few years. And after a really rough night at work, I put in my two-week notice, and I actually didn't even finish my two weeks. I just couldn't anymore.
0: This is our second take. It's honestly, it's it's very fitting that we are now sitting in front of the sacrifice, commitment, honor, courage um, display. And it literally says at the bottom, lest we forget those who did not return. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you see with the fire department that was, was too much? I mean, you were, you were in Iraq in, in one of the most horrific situations I've ever heard of. Right. So and it-
1: When I came home, the uh, I tried to forget what I saw in Iraq. I tried to forget what I saw in down in Gulfport, Mississippi, for Hurricane Katrina. Um, at that time, I was trying to forget. But the problem was... Being working for IFD in the firehouse that I was at, we were constantly, at least once a shift, we got a gunshot or um, we got a knife. Or the worst was um, we'd get calls to on domestic violence and we would go out to a house and a wife had been beaten to a bloody pulp. A child, you know, had watched. My worst night was we actually went on a call And um, a husband had killed his wife in a fit of rage. He was drunk. He was high on meth. He killed his wife. We got the all clear to go in to declare her uh, DOA, dead on arrival. Get into the room, and we're not even in there two minutes, and I hear something in the closet. I'm thinking, okay, what the heck? I go, because I'm standing right there. I literally go, and I open the door. There is a five-year-old little girl hidden underneath a basket of clothes, holding her mom's gun. She thought it was her dad coming, because she literally just watched her dad kill her mom. So she was hiding in there with her mom's gun, and she thought it was her dad coming for her when I opened the door, and she fired. And I was hit.
0: Where'd you get hit at? Right here in there. Oh, Oh, I didn't even notice that scar, but that oh my goodness that's right in your bicep yeah and what was that feeling
1: it was i immediately flashed back to iraq immediately and
0: was the thought was was there an instinctive thought to defend yourself against her
1: no because when i looked at her i saw my daughter so i immediately just froze um i had come from a my first marriage was an extremely abusive marriage, and so I knew exactly what she just witnessed.
0: You're talking about the the guy that you met that you were in the army with. Yes. Um, and so I've
1: had multiple husbands, and um, up until this last one, every single one of them were in the military.
0: Ah. Uh, so, what did you what did you do when she fired?
1: Um. I immediately snatched the weapon out of her hand.
0: I snatched the gun out of her hand. oh wait so okay so wait so you this is obviously not a visual medium you got shot in your left bicep mm-hmm. which means you had to snatch the gun out of her hand with your arm that doesn't work mm-hmm. How did that how? how? Uh, well at that point I still had... A heck of a lot more movement. We oh, that's right, because it was it. a it was
1: a progressive up to where I have no movement. So
0: how much movement did you have at that? point? At
1: that time, I actually had too much movement. My shoulder, I could be standing there talking, and my shoulder would just fall out of socket. Oh my god! Because I had no muscle or tendon holding it in, it would just fall out.
0: And how do you, what do you do when that happens?
1: You. Go to a corner and kind of just hit it, and it pops back in. It got to the point where I didn't feel it anymore. The first few times it dislocated, yeah, that was hell. But it got to the point where I didn't even notice it anymore. There was actually one night while I had been drinking, and we were playing darts, and I threw a dart. And just throwing the dart, my shoulder popped out of socket, and my date had to tell me.
0: I... I just love this idea of you like walking around like a very fancy party and your shoulders just hanging down the whole time.
1: Actually, I went like that as a Halloween for Halloween one year. Um, I went as a uh, um, zombie, and I purposely dislocated my shoulder and just let it hang there all day, all, all night long at this party.
0: <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> you could have done the Michael Jackson zombie pretty too, much, the the, no? the Thriller dance. Okay, oh, yeah. so. What? That was your last night, correct? That was
1: my last night at IFD. I came out to Greenfield, and um, I worked for Greenfield as a, a paramedic for um, a very short period. And uh, by then, the surgeries were taking a huge toll. And
0: how many were you up to at this point?
1: Uh, coming out to Greenfield, I think it was up to like fifteen.
0: Wow! Not even halfway through. Yeah. What would eventually be? So, what were you doing for work at that time?
1: Um, I decided to take a break from work, and I just. And were you married at
0: this point? (laughs) I've always been married. Well, I mean, but were you were you and your husband living together? And
1: I think I was going through divorce number four, three or four at this point.
0: And this is another military. yes
1: and actually husband two and four are the same guy and husband three in between wasn't even for 30 days
0: then i don't think you count that well it's like a five second rule pretty much and so uh you're going through a divorce Mm -hmm. you can't do anything you can't do anything for work
1: I did a lot of odd and ends. I worked armed security
0: for a couple of places. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just Shut up. The, 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 the woman who got shot in one of her arms and can't use the other one or uses it too much is working armed security? Yep,
1: armed security.
0: That's like putting Ryan Neemiller in front of armed security. That is a friend of mine who has uh, disabilities in both of his arms. He goes by cripple threat. He's nice. on America's Got Talent right now. Check out Ryan Neemiller on America's Got Talent. That's He's awesome. going to make the top five. So, um... You're working armed security. What do you do? What what does that mean? I honestly, I I mean, I know, but let's inform the audience.
1: Um, I'm working construction sites um, in Indian, different places in Indianapolis. Um, uh, And an armed security guard, you just have your weapon on you. You have your gun on you. You have a gun belt, you know. And it's just to make sure no one comes in and steals equipment or, you know. Uh, One night I was working... um, uh, at a, uh, an apartment complex that was going up and this was in downtown Indy. And, um, I was clearing all the rooms and if you actually do your job and clear the rooms like you're supposed to, it takes you a couple of hours. I was on floor number three out of six and I was almost through the entire floor and I go in to clear a room and I hear snoring. And so I'm like, well, there shouldn't be anyone in here. I go looking around. There's actually a homeless guy sleeping in a closet. I'm like, okay, dude, you got to go. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Better yet, because it was storming that night. It was really nasty out. I was like, better yet. I'm going to put it in my report that I told you you needed to leave now. I will come get you. I get off at 6 a.m. I will come get you at 5.30. And you need to be gone by the time the next shift comes in.
0: And I let him sleep there for the night. That's empathetic. We need more of that in society. So yeah. what do you, how long did you do the armed security?
1: Uh, on and off for a few years, um, I was battling with a lot of um, demons myself, and so. What uh, kind of demons? It, uh, depression, PTSD.
0: Um, I don't think those are demons, though. Like demons, to me, are like alcoholism. Man. I had a couple
1: suicide attempts. I was drinking quite heavily at the time, unfortunately, and I was on large doses of pain meds uh, through the VA. Large doses of payments.
0: And uh, what were you doing? So you were you said it was on and off with the armed security. What was what were you doing? Anything for work on the off? Um,
1: I was babysitting my best friend's kids. Um, just uh, I do a lot of uh, sketches, drawings, paintings, and uh, I make jewelry and rosaries. And so I would make that kind of stuff and kind of sell it, especially at, like, veterans art fairs and stuff like that. Um, just little things. <laughs> Fighting the VA for my disability.
0: And so how long did that last, you said?
1: Um, well, really, up until now.
0: Okay, so, okay, so, um, because th- there is a drastic change coming. Yes. Um, when did that happen? The, which, Jurassic. So, okay, let's just go through. We've, we're, you're at armed security. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what happens next? Just guide me through. Uh, I had my first suicide attempt. Tell me about the first attempt. My first
1: suicide attempt was um, actually in 2009. It was right after I got out of the military. It was in September 2009. Um, I was working for a place called at Cases. We were actually making um, military foot lockers and um, field desks and stuff. I had told my parents I was heading to work. Like I do every night, and I told work I had a family emergency and that I couldn't come in,
0: so nobody knew where I was. The old "tell the school your mom needs you to come home, tell your mom you're going to school." And
1: go to your boyfriend's house.
0: Okay, and so <laughs> um, what? What did you? Where did you go, and what did you do?
1: I was actually parked um, here in Greenfield. I was parked in a vacant um, house. I was in an alley. Backed into a um, driveway of a vacant house. And it was an extremely cold, cold, cold day. Like, I mean, we were down into, like, the 30s already. It was freezing that day. I had taken 300 fast-acting sleeping pills and 300 extended-release sleeping pills with a bottle of vodka. I closed my eyes and didn't expect to wake up. Apparently... Because it was so cold and I was sitting in my Jeep with the um, engine off, my uh, body core temperature dropped. And when it does that, your heart actually slows down to try to preserve limb and life. And because of that, um, it took longer for the meds to actually go through my system. Now, I had apparently had already passed out, but an officer had gone down the alley earlier um, heading to, um, a domestic call or something. And had seen someone asleep in the front wheel or seen someone asleep behind the wheel on his way back out. Like 20 minutes later, he said that he saw the same person behind the same wheel in the exact same spot. He actually thought it was drugs. So he comes up, knocks on the window, no response, knocks on the window again, no response. He tries the door. Of course it's locked. So he takes his punch and he breaks out the window and he realizes, he sees the empty pill bottles and the empty bottle of vodka, and he doesn't even wait for an ambulance. He literally throws me in the back of his squad car because I was two blocks away from the hospital and takes me to the ER himself. Um, I don't remember any of this. All I know is I was a Jane Doe in a coma for 27 days until another police officer happened to be walking by my room was like, hey, what's Aaron doing here? And they're like, you know who she is? And at that point, they contacted my parents. I was in a coma total for um, about 42 days. And I had to go through three rounds of dialysis.
0: And I woke up. Is there any any memory of what your mind was doing during the coma? None. Like dreamer? No. So you still, for you, you take a bunch of pills and I drink. wake up
1: and I thought it was a few hours later. Like, I thought, you know, I'd gone to the ER, they had, you know, pumped my stomach, stomach and I woke up a few hours later. I didn't realize I'd been over a month.
0: When did you realize?
1: Uh, My mom came in, and uh, she was sitting down with me, and I was still in and out, in and out. I only remember bits and pieces, and she was uh, crying, asking me why, and... I don't remember my response. And I was like, what does it matter? I'm awake now. It's only been a few hours. And that's when she broke it to me that it's been over a month. And that I was actually a Jane Doe and missing for 27 days. What? It's a
0: little quieter. It is. What was the... Why did I have to start there? you tell me? What was the feeling when you... When she told you it was, you know, 42 days.
1: I still took a few days before it really sunk in. Like, because I was still so in and out of it. I was still so tired. Um, I was hearing what she was saying and what the nurses and doctors were saying, but it wasn't quite registering and sticking yet. It was still a couple more days after that that it really started to sink in that... I failed at life I failed at the military and I even failed at killing myself great
0: and so uh, did you go home with your mom
1: yeah yeah I was cleared and went home with my mom
0: how long uh, after you woke up were, were you cleared
1: um, about 14 days later
0: and when you went home with your mom what happens next Where where do you where do you go what do you do what do you I mean yeah because I mean you're in a coma for 40 days 42 days. You get out. What do you do when you get home?
1: I had a very big, luxurious meal. I was hungry. <laughs> what
0: would you eat?
1: Uh, my mom went and got my favorite meal, which is snow crab legs.
0: Snow crab legs, okay. Yes. And, uh...
1: I ate three pounds of a that day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you ate your body weight. Pretty much. And then, uh, what did you do from there? Like, did you get a job? Or... Uh, yeah...
1: From there, yeah, I went back to work. I went back to the same security company that I had originally been working for.
0: The armed security? Yes,
1: armed security. And um, worked for them for a while again. And then had to have a surgery, so I took off a year. And went back to them again. And that's actually where I met my latest husband. My current husband.
0: Was he working for them as well?
1: He was working for them. He had actually just come off a medical leave himself. And it was both our first days back. He was daytime supervisor, and I was nighttime supervisor.
0: And so, uh, how old are you now?
1: Uh, Well, this was five years ago.
0: So, you were 27? About, yeah. And you guys get married?
1: Eventually, yeah. I actually, I met him Memorial Weekend. And he tried and tried and tried for a couple months, and I kept blowing him off. And finally, July 4th, I finally gave in and we started dating and we got married six weeks later and so i've done the whole be engaged for two years plan everything out and it ended in divorce i've done the whole wait 30 days get married and it ended in divorce so it doesn't matter if you wait to get to know somebody you know completely through and through or you just jump right into it if it's going to end in divorce it's already in the stars
0: Justice of the peace marriage?
1: Uh, no, actually, we had a ceremony. Uh, one of his uh, best his best friends' father um, was an ordained minister, and we got him to come out, and uh, I had my son with me, and he had his daughter, and uh, his mom and brother came out, and it was just a little itty-bitty little thing um, uh, at the park in Plainfield.
0: What was the marriage like at the beginning?
1: It was great. Everything was great. God, it was like... I finally hit the lotto. And Yeah, I mean it was absolutely amazing.
0: Well, and unfortunately, like most lotto winners, kind of into tragedy, what when did it start to go south?
1: Um I was having an emotional affair with somebody. And
0: Well you weren't physically cheating on them. No, it. I
1: was not physically cheating. You
0: were just investing was, in that person you not were not just
1: investing is i would instead of turning to my husband when i had a problem i turned to him and who was him um well his name was colin
0: i mean how did you know him work okay
1: and it started to kind of tear a rift between the two of us because of what his ex-wife had done to him
0: which was
1: uh, she was pregnant before the divorce was even final
0: I'm guessing with someone else. Yes. And so, he's getting jealous.
1: He's getting jealous, which is causing more issues. Um, I can't really say he he becomes over-possessive and not so much controlling, but he was trying to dictate what I could, couldn't do, where I could and couldn't go, you know, money I spent, who I talked to, and yet it wasn't happening not happening so we had our first separation
0: and where did you go during the separation
1: um i actually went to stay with my best friend who was living with her dad at the time and um her stepbrother was just getting back from fort campbell in the military just getting out and him and i actually started dating and we dated for seven months And I lived with them and got married. No, no, I lived with them and everything like that. And, um, in that seven months, my husband had at least five women that I know of, including the one that when I called him and said, Hey, tell whatever whores on your couch to leave. I'm coming home. He literally hung up the phone, looked over at her and said, you've got to go. My wife's on her way home.
0: And so I went home. How did the relationship end with him? The seven months?
1: We've gotten into a huge argument. And I mean, I, I viewed it as we were living together. We were sleeping in the same bed together. We were together. He viewed it as some a roommate that lived in the same bed with him. Oh. And so, I mean, it really, he did not want a relationship. One, two, he didn't want to be with anyone who had a kid. And I definitely had a child at the time, and it was just one of those, okay, it was fun in the beginning, you're hot, you're sexy, it fizzled out, we can be friends.
0: Okay. And how did you feel about it?
1: In all reality, I felt like I was rubbing the cradle because of how young he was, and he just was not mature enough
0: so it was a it wasn't a devastating thing.
1: no 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 and then i you, felt no remorse whatsoever when i packed my shit and left where'd you go i went home i went back to so my has, husband it, and oh Tom. that's right he
0: tells the whore to leave yeah and so I uh, had an
1: apartment in indianapolis and so i packed my stuff and i went back
0: and how how long were you back uh well i was back and when is this by the way uh
1: this was um uh, a so, uh, August. This was August of uh, 2016.
0: Yeah, 2016. So just about th- three years ago. Yes. And you're back home with your husband. Right. And were things good when you moved back?
1: When I moved back, I was at that point extremely addicted to my pain meds. And so that in itself, as somebody who
0: should be, who has an arm falling off.
1: (laughs) Yes, but it started causing issues. He was drinking. Um, I wouldn't so much call him an alcoholic, but he definitely liked to have a glass a day. Um, But he wouldn't drink to get drunk. But my addiction to my pain meds started to take a toll. And I wasn't even home two months before I attempted
0: suicide again. And how did you attempt it this time?
1: This time, it turned into a a two-and-a-half-hour SWAT standoff that ended with me shooting myself.
0: Whoa, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Let's... Okay, because... I think most people, when they think of suicide, it seems like a kind of a solo activity. So, the day that you decide you're going to make a second attempt at suicide, Mm -hmm. guide me through from waking up to apparently... You shooting yourself after a SWAT standoff?
1: I honestly don't remember the first half of the day. The first thing that I remember about that day is my husband and I were in a huge argument, and um, it was over drugs. I had been, uh, I had used heroin quite a few times while we were separated this last time, and I'd gotten clean, I'd stopped using, but I was back on my pain meds and um, I had just filled my pain meds like a week earlier and I was already out. I mean, I got stupid crazy in my pain meds at one point and so it started It turned into a fight. I don't remember. He says that he was trying to stop me and protect myself from myself. I remember him screaming, yelling at me and cornering me in. The kitchen. He never. Was he he, drunk? No. And he never put his hands on me. You know, I just, I've never heard that tone come out of his voice before. And that scared me. And then the fact that I was trying to get out and he cornered me in the kitchen.
0: Now, wait, did you know you were going to uh, attempt suicide that morning? Like when you woke up? Did you know? Okay. And was it the fight?
1: No, actually, uh, it was what my son had said to me. Um, my husband had called my family. Was your son there for the. No, he was not. He was with my mom, but my husband had called my family, trying to get my family on his side to take his side and not mine. And in the process, he got my autistic son involved and my
0: son, how did he get him involved?
1: I don't know if he told my mom and my mom was talking about it or if he told him directly. Um, but he spilt the beans about, um, my pain meds and my son has Asperger's. He's extremely high functioning at the time though he was still really behind. And so, um, even though he was functioning at like a third grade level, even though he was in middle school. And so I remember the phone call, and my son told me, I wasn't his mother anymore. That I was just his egg donor, and that I could go to hell. He didn't want to talk to me ever again.
0: Do you think he was coached to say that? I do. I honestly do. Because that doesn't sound like something that would just come out. Uh, of well, not only, not only. Eleven-year-old. No, well, not, no. I mean, eleven, twelve. You're still a child, and not only that, he's he's more than an 11 or 12 year old child he's a child child because of the condition so that's definitely not something that's gonna be concocted by a someone at a 3rd or 4th grade level right and so uh, that's gonna push anybody And so
1: with my PTSD that was already going through the day that we had already had the fight Josh and I had had and then that phone call pushed me over the top and what did you do? uh I was actually, when I got that phone call, down at the canal walking downtown Indianapolis. I was actually sitting at the War Memorial.
0: And where where did you go after that call? I sat at the War Memorial. For how long?
1: Until after I shot myself. There's Okay, so off. that's where
0: this... Okay, so yeah. hold on. Now we're skipping steps. I got yeah. a note. So we have fill in the blanks. So you're at... Because you don't just jump from, I'll oh, sit at the War Memorial, and then the SWAT team showed up, and I shot myself. Why did the SWAT... Why did the SWAT team show up?
1: So it was about 11 o'clock at night anyways. And um, there wasn't very much traffic out. Um, Josh had actually tracked my phone and came and found me. And when he walked up to me, I pulled my weapon out and told him to go away. And I pointed it at him and told him to go away. He wanted to go away. So I kept doing it. You know, and finally he walked away because, you know, some people saw. So he walks away. After he walked away... I don't know why I didn't put my weapon back in my holster, but I just held it in my lap. And I just sat there staring at the war memorial crying. And I remember crying and I was talking to Ricky, my best friend who died in Iraq. And I was begging him to just answer me once. Show me what I was supposed to do. Tell me what I was supposed to do that I couldn't keep going on without him. That I needed him. And it was silence. Well, some teenagers or something had seen me sitting there crying with a weapon in my hand and called cops. An officer showed up. I remember him kind of off to the side, and I vaguely remember him telling me to put my weapon away, that he needed to talk to me. And I remember slowly turning my head and looking at him, and I said, you don't want to be here for this. And next thing I know, SWAT showed up. I had a negotiator I had the weapon pointed at my head for over two hours
0: and that's got to be tough because one arm is had been shot and the other one at what this point is probably starting to break down so you said you ended up shooting yourself did you shoot yourself in the head no no
1: um I sat there with negotiators, and actually for two and a half hours with the negotiator and with SWAT right there, there was a lot of laughing going on, like, uh, because they were all prior they military. They were watching Brad
0: Flicks on YouTube.
1: They were all prior military, and so, of course, we get into the military topic, and then um, the one SWAT officer who's right in front of me, who's been crouched down this whole time, literally just falls over and so that's just like it just started into you know laughing which i really took me back and it made me you know kind of snap out of things and i moved the weapon from pointing at my head it was pointed at my chest i had finally agreed to hand my weapon over i was literally dropping my clip my magazine and i went to clear the weapon because there was no safety on it so i went to clear the weapon to hand it over. Well, I'd been crying for two and a half hours. It was cold. I was sitting on concrete. And in the process, this weapon had a hairpin trigger without a safety. And me shaking the way I did, it got caught in my bracelet. The trigger pulled, and I shot myself in the stomach.
0: Oh, um, in the stomach? In the stomach. Do you, you have a scar from that one, too? Shot myself there. Oh, That's all my wow. soldiers. How many surgeries was that? 14 now. So you've had 37 surgeries on your shoulder, 14 on your stomach, mm-hmm. one on your left arm.
1: Actually, three
0: on the Three side. on your, oh, Jesus. So that's 37, and 14, is 51, two, 54. Two on my pelvis. 56. Right there. 56 surgeries.
1: And I've had a couple of my eyes.
0: And so <laughs> they take you to the hospital, you.
1: I got lucky. They literally, like, the swap medic was the one who had tipped over and was right in front of me. Like I shot myself and gun safety went out of my freaking head and I literally threw my weapon
0: Did it go off again?
1: No, no because I had already dropped the clip like the only round that was in it was the one in the chamber And it happened to be inside of me (laughs) now because Like a retard everyone says a 22 is just enough to piss someone off. It's not going to do any damage well, because it was a twenty-two, there wasn't enough power to go through and through. It went in and bounced around. It poked a total oh of fourteen holes.
0: Like a ping pong, or much. a pinball machine. Uh, pretty much. Fourteen holes. Fourteen holes. What, what did it? So you had to get well,
1: extremely guess, lucky. If I was even two minutes farther away from Eskenazi, if the SWAT medic had hesitated longer than he did because he immediately threw his weapon over his shoulder scooped me up in his arms ran me across the field threw me in the back of the ambulance and i had two swap medics a firefighter that i knew two paramedics that i knew and they had a police officer f- driving the ambulance and then i had a pretty much a police escort to esgenazi which luckily was literally less than two minutes around the corner and but i had a police escort they stopped every light between where i was and esganazi esganazi was already waiting for me um i knew all the doctors and the nurses that were in the room because i used to work for them and so it was really surreal from the time i shot myself to the time i hit esganazi's trauma sh- shock rooms wasn't even 5 minutes from the time i entered the shock room to the time i was on the or table was less than 10 and the last thing i remember was the nurse I was had been screaming and screaming and screaming in pain and they couldn't give me anything because I was losing too much blood so my blood pressure was too low and I remember the nurse telling me to hang on I was laying on the OR table and I remember I just went silent everything stopped hurting everything just went numb and I remember almost feeling hot like I was on fire and bright lights and I remember the last thing I remember is the OR nurse going we need the surgeon in here now. She's starting to crash. I woke up three days later in ICU. My stomach was still open. They couldn't close it.
0: Wait, and you woke up in ICU with an open stomach. Yes. Like from are where...
1: stem to stern. They, uh, they Ugh. had to go in and cut me from, um, uh, just underneath my, uh, breast all the way down to my uterus stem to stern, like an old C-section. Cut it straight open. And um, was it
0: being held open?
1: No, it was just open. Like, if you look down, they had, uh, like, look like saran wrap over it. Um, just, it was just open. There was too much damage for them to actually close it. Plus, they needed to heal from the inside
0: out and not the outside in, or you'll trap bacteria. Now, you knew this, right? Yes. Do you think that was, like, that, I mean, that has, honestly, that has to be a, just a huge lucky break because if that's me i'm freaking out you know what i mean like i don't understand why all of this is open i understood in this the medical
1: of side of everything um i the medical side of it was the easy part it was trying to get over the mental part of it that i had actually shot myself and not only did i shot myself i did some major damage. They ended up having to take out five and a half feet of my intestines, most of my colon, most of my bowel. I nicked the liver. I nicked kidney. I mean, I I did some pretty good damage. When I do something, I go all out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, how long did it take you to recover?
1: I was in the hospital 10 days before I was released. And I went home. They sent me home on a portable wound back, which, um, it's just, it's like this big, Plastic band-aid that goes over the top and it's uh, attached to a machine. I ended up calling it my puppy because it followed me everywhere. But um, it literally just like sucked the air out, so there was no bacteria. It was like a zero bacteria um, area. I had to go get it changed. I had to go to the hospital every three days to get it changed. And as it healed, um, it just healed from the inside out because of the wound back. and um, that took me uh, probably, probably about a month.
0: And when you said you went home, home to your husband?
1: Oh, to my husband, to my son. Halloween was three days later, and we went trick-or-treating with
0: my stomach wide open. What did you go as? The walking dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love you so much. That is the best. That is the best. That is, that is making the best of a bad situation right there. You got to laugh about it. And so Because if you don't, you're going to cry. And so now were things good again when you went home yes things were great and your son like what did you guys have a talk about things uh, no
1: we just kind of act like nothing happened
0: okay and how long did this last
1: um actually it while I was in the hospital dealing and with when was this by the way this was in October
0: of last year
1: no of 2017 um, 16? I think it was 16. Okay. Yeah, it was 16. Um, While I was in the hospital, Josh was taking a lot of time off of work, and because of that, we got evicted from our apartment. Um, I actually got out of the hospital, and we had to be out of the apartment like two weeks later. Um, And so we moved into our truck. We lived out of the back of our truck. With your son? No, my son uh, was with my mom. Okay. Because of his autism and everything that's always happened... My mom has always been the ground for my son. Um, so this way he's not bounced around.
0: Might call her Ground Mall. Oh,
1: well.
0: Anyways, that was bad. <laughs> uh, that's, it, if you didn't think that was funny, remember Comedy Subjective. Uh, so you guys are living in your truck.
1: Living out of our truck.
0: Yes. And we're, so are you just parking?
1: Parking. Ra- um, at, uh, usually we parked at a, um, church in Plainfield.
0: And where did you do during the day?
1: Uh, We drove around um, to different places. He ended up losing his job during all of this and finally got a job at Amazon. And so he was working nights. And so we would literally through the day drive around. He would sleep when he could. And at night we'd go park in Amazon parking lot. He would go work 12 hours. I stayed in the back of the truck for 12 hours.
0: What did you do? Uh,
1: read, slept. That's pretty much it. It didn't take long before I said screw this, and I got a job at Amazon as well.
0: And how have you handled, like, so are you still on pain meds at this point? Yes. And what? how many pain meds are you on at this point?
1: Uh, well, I was on morphine three times a day, fentanyl patches. You change every three days. I was on oxycodone and roxycodone uh, at least three times a day.
0: And... High doses, high doses, like max doses. So what? You're you're sitting in the back of a truck for 12 hours a night. Mm-hmm. It didn't last
1: long before I said screw this, and I got a job working at Amazon. Okay. Um, we actually got lucky, and a veterans group called HVAB, HVAF um, in downtown Indianapolis. We kind of got hooked up with and they helped us get into an apartment. They helped us pay our deposit, first month's rent, get all our utilities connected and uh, everything like that. Great food pantry, everything. Um, We weren't even in that apartment two months before there was a horrific apartment fire and uh, like six units were lost, including ours. The fire actually started right underneath my bedroom.
0: Oh my God. Were you there when it started?
1: I had actually just laid down to take a nap and I smelled smoke, but there were no smoke alarms going off. And so I remember I laid down on the couch and I remember walking back to the bedroom because it was getting stronger as I walked back. I walked back to my bedroom, I opened the door and I could see the smoke rolling up from from the floorboards and i immediately darted out of my apartment ran downstairs sure enough get down to it was the washer and dryer room underneath us it was completely engulfed i take off running upstairs i'm pounding on every door screaming fire get out i gotta pull the fire alarm and it doesn't even go off there are no smoke detectors going off was there there at least an axe behind glass there is no there are three floors or four if you count the basement as well there was one working smoke detector on the very top floor. I had to go through every floor to find the one working smoke de- or one working uh fire, fire, extingu- fire extinguisher. Oh wow. No, oh. There was one working fire extinguisher in the whole building, and it was on the very top floor, and I had to go through every floor to find it. I get downstairs, and the fire department even says that if I had not hit it when I did with the fire extinguisher, that the entire building probably would have been lost. But because I stood there, and I ended up getting second-degree um, burns, actually, in my throat from standing there, breathing in oh the fire God. as I'm hitting it. With, Did
0: you get any burns on your skin?
1: Um, I had uh, first- and second-degree burns uh, all over my arms.
0: Oh, my God. And you know what? So, okay, I want to say this. So, for having been shot in one of them, and having one of them that was dangling well, you have really pretty arms like the <sighs> arms look 100 normal i mean you can't barely notice the scar there it doesn't look like you had burned you know like it was burned
1: yeah i i have some little itty bitty marks discoloration okay. still but, but, but not most not a lot and so, i got lucky
0: um uh because we're getting ready to get in the meat of this mm-hmm. do you want to go to the car to finish this We can? Okay, let's do that because that way we'll. That should block out most of that. We
1: could also drive down to the park, which is right up the road. Oh, yeah.
0: Let's do that.